the people who are in, allowed anywhere near me for any length of time for any reason are going to be people who are quality. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Grill City Center with my guest, Jackie Pick, host of the Jackie Daly Show and podcast. How are you this afternoon? I know it took you a while to get here. It did. I mean, Houston's looking terrific, first of all, because I'm you know, from Dallas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's still some residual road construction and chaos a little bit and maybe some PTSD on the highway here in Houston. Uh, so it took about five hours total to get here from Dallas, My which gosh. Kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah, it normally takes about four. Yes. So yeah, mm-hmm. well, there's always construction going on. So That's right. regardless. But all in all, Houston looks great. Say that. I- I'm actually shocked at how good things are looking, at least the great long tour I took of the city today by accidents. <laughs> so congrats. <laughs> so before we go deeper into your current role, let's talk about where you got started in the oil and gas industry. I, well, kind of a complicated story. I come from an energy family, a mm-hmm. um, little bit of oil, but mostly coal and nuclear. So oh, wow. I came into energy more from that angle. I talk constantly about natural gas, so that might come as a shock to some people. But I worked on Capitol Hill for seven years for a man who was third generation oil and gas. And so he taught me a lot of what I know about energy. He was one of the members of Congress that was looked to for leadership on energy issues because he was at that time, the only member who had ever fracked a well and had a lot of experience and he operates offshore around the world. And so, uh, or at least uh, used to operate. Now he's just a, now he's just doing royalties. Now he's doing it the, the smart way. Yeah. But anyhow, so it started with him really. And we started doing some counterterrorism investigations because we had oversight of the FBI and NSA and other things. Oh, that's really deep in, in there yeah. in the government. So Yeah, it was on Capitol Hill. And so he was the chairman of the subcommittee on the Constitution, but a member of Judiciary Committee. And so I was his counsel. And, uh, you know, you just find out that most of what's funding uh, terrorism around the world is uh, started as petrodollars. And I became fascinated with that idea of largest wealth transfer in human history. From people like us to people like those who are, you know, funding the problem. Right. And then the shale revolution was happening at the same time. Yeah. And really, I just immersed myself and spent hundreds of hours sort of studying that problem and how to get around it. And I just concluded that probably the best thing for the free world is robust energy production in countries like ours. Yes, exactly. I mean, we're in a shale revolution. Yeah. So I was, it's just like, it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be alive and, and interested in this in this sector because it's a geopolitical game changer, different from, you know, it, it changed the whole chess game since the beginning of my lifetime, certainly. And so I want to tell everyone about it. And I, I just feel like everyone needs to understand this and not be afraid of energy, not be afraid of fracking, not be afraid of pipelines, under, understand the opportunity in front of us. And I, I'm just really passionate about that. Yeah. And I I definitely resonate with that because people make these opinions about how it is based off of whatever movie they watch or quote unquote documentary. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates me. Nobody actually looks into it. Nobody asks questions. They just 
it's almost like a religion. It's kind of creepy in that way. So anyway, a little bit more about that journey. Yeah. So, so there I was on Capitol Hill and decided that I, you know, I needed to re-enter the private sector. That's sort of an ideological belief of mine. I don't think anyone should be in the government for too long. I think you should come out and submerge yourself again in, you know, making money and making payroll and doing normal things that real people have to face uh, if you're going to regulate them. And so, and, and in fact, I would be in favor of term limits on Capitol Hill staff. I was going uh, to say just that. Yeah. I think term limits is one of the few things our founders messed up early on. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and not just for members, but for senior staff too. And so I left and I became general counsel to a defense contractor specializing in energy and environmental cleanup and so and missile defense and a few other things. And so that was interesting. And then just happened to meet some of the top people in talk radio in the country. And I began telling them how I'm so excited about this shell revolution and that I thought that that had to be covered on radio. And they're like, well, would you like to do it? And I Why said, not? sure. And so that's kind of how that happened. So, because I'm a lawyer by training. And, did you go uh, to Vanderbilt? I did, yeah, to Vanderbilt Law School and loved it. And I miss it. If I could be paid to go to Vanderbilt Law School, believe it, I'm one of these few people who really enjoyed that time in my life. It was just a really, really fun time and a great peer group. And and right now, I mean, I'm I'm missing lawyering a little. I think I'd like to. I hope I still have my law licenses, of course, and mm-hmm. I'd love to get in on some cases, uh, challenging BLM or EPA or something like that, and learning oh. how to how to uh, properly, you know, use the courts to make sure that there's checks and balances on what's happening out there. And so I think I'll probably move into some of that. In oh, that'd be cool. Future. That's yeah. that's going to be really interesting, especially with everything going on right now and um, having Rex Tillerson up there and uh, former Governor Perry. Yeah. So, at least yeah. we have some, I, you know, I have some confidence in the leadership now, uh, more so than in the past, but, you know, there will always be work to be done. There, are, there will always be government overreach and bureaucrats who lose sight of the mission and uh, the purpose and the goals. And so there, there are the courts to hopefully rein it in. So anyhow, that's kind of what's on my mind right now. And up until July, I was working as chief operating officer for the National Center for Policy Analysis. Mm -hmm. And so right now we're going through some negotiations to maybe change the management and leadership there. So I might continue on there. I might not. I don't know. But the Jackie Daly show is here to stay. So that stays for sure because that's that's the really fun part of what I do. And that's that's all mine. I have a, a partner on the show, of course. But anyway, it's just it's a delight. It's a mission. Well, Well, tell me more about your show. So the show is based in Dallas. And we are on Glenn Beck's network, but I'm not a Beck employee or anything like that. I'm not really part of the blaze. I'm just on the blaze. And then we're on the dial in Texas. We're podcast all over the place. So if you just Google Jackie Daly Show, it'll come up. And so, I mean, the goal is to tell the other side of the energy debate. I feel like about 95% of what is out there on the airwaves or on social media or on the news or in, the, you know, as you say, film mm-hmm. books is the really misinformed or way underinformed, fringier parts of the activist community. And in fact, I'm not even sure they're activists, to be frank with you. I mean, a lot of that we now know is funded by U.S. energy competitors. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, could and, and, and not just the foreign competitors. I mean, because now now this has all come out. I mean, the, the, the U.S. Senate has investigated this issue. The U.S. House is investigating this issue now. 
private sector is investigated. So you have foreign competitors with U.S. energy producers who are funding all of this anti-fracking, anti-oil, anti-fossil fuels campaign because why they sell fossil fuels and they don't want the competition from the United States. And so people don't see through this. And then sometimes, as you probably know, inside the U.S., you will have one sector of the energy or one part of the energy sector warring against another part of it yeah. uh, by funding activism. So you have certain, you know, maybe fossil fuels are funding activism against nuclear or maybe natural gas is funding activism against coal or who, who whatever it, it, in any combination. So that's, you know, I don't get involved in any of those wars. Right. I am positive on everything. I just tell the positive side of energy and try to make sure that that piece is told because it's it's just underrepresented in the debate. No, I absolutely agree with that. It, it's the, there's just a lot of negativity in the world, and and I, I think it's more uh, prevalent now because of social media. And you know, just right after Hurricane Harvey, somebody in media, the news, said, "Oh, I think there might be a gas shortage." Well, it just you know caught social media got part of that and it just wildfire. Yes, because you know that that is excitement. It's funny, people want to participate in things. When I grew up in the far north of the country, mm -hmm. snowstorms were no big deal, you know, snowfalls so what? I moved south and if there's even a forecast of snow and it's a perfectly cloudless day, everyone makes a rush on their grocery store and they buy milk and bread and toilet tissue and they go get gasoline. And I think that like you know, when you can like, when you have something like that, that's a call to action that the average person can get in, in on, mm -hmm. you know, that's one thing that makes it go viral. And so, yeah. you know, that's, it's just something that it's, it's rare that people have a call to action they can execute right now. And right. so, and let's face it, people like, people like excitement, you know, they, they complain about massive storms and blizzards and whatever. People just get drama ready. in general. Exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's over dramatic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So what are some challenges you've faced through all of this? Uh, you mean with the show? Just with the show through the when you're working on Capitol Hill. So I think... Especially as a woman. Uh, well, I wonder. It's, it's hard to know sometimes when you're hitting with the challenge because you're a woman versus you're hitting with the challenge for other reasons. Right. And so, you know, when you... When I've always been in a male-dominated field. Whatever yeah. I have ever done in my entire life, I have always... I've always been that. And I don't know if that's because... Um, you like challenge. I do like challenges. I like getting outside my comfort zone. Both sides of my family were large families of boys. My mom is the oh. only woman anywhere in the mix. I had a grandpa who was the oldest of 13 boys. Wow. And I think I was just raised around a lot of men. So I'm, I'm just comfortable, you know, in those environments. And that's fine. But I think when I was younger, much younger, when I first <laughs> went to Capitol Hill, I remember people saying... You know, I had this law degree and I was I had some experience in the private sector and very excited. And they're like, they kept saying, you're going to have a hard time getting people to take you seriously. And I was so naive. I didn't know what they were talking about. I'm wow. just like, why? Like, I'm so serious because I had been in an artificial environment all of my life, which was academia. I never really felt any kind of discrimination in academia at all. Right. At yeah. all. Uh, and so including at Vanderbilt Law School at all. And I always thought, who cares if you're black, white, purple, male, female, or something else, as long as you make people money, they don't care. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, that, that's, that was my attitude going in. It's probably a good attitude to take going in, you it know. It really is in any case, actually. 
Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty colorblind. I like to think. And so I'm like, oh, well, so is the rest of the world in real life. Maybe people think that they have these biases, but the truth is they want to make money. As long as you're making money, they'll get over it. And which is funny because I don't come from a pragmatic family like that, you know, but anyway, it turns out that bias is real and I'm sure I've hit up against some of it. And, you know, when you're a young woman, it actually is, comes more in the form of, you know, people pretend I don't know if anyone's interested in this, but yet the women will be, uh, people will <laughs> pretend that they want to help you along, whatever it is, right? They've got this opportunity. They've got this project. They've got this job. They've got this client. They've got this lead. They've got this funder. They've got whatever it is they've got for you. And let's just have lunch and talk about it. So you go have lunch and talk about it. And usually it turns out to be a date. It's a date disguised as a, let me help you. And then they waste your time. Oh, that's really lame. Yeah. And that's been, that's happened to me, you know, from the time I was very young. And so I, I've been a little resentful about people wasting my time pretending like they want to help me out when it turns out they're not, there's nothing on the other side of that other than they just want to go out. And, you know, so that's actually a challenge I've had. So I, and I think that, you know, I don't know if people find that interesting or like they're saying, no, I've never, no. I've never, I can't say I've ever had that problem, but normally men are afraid of me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, a good thing. <laughs> that's a, it's a little different for well, me. That's funny. Well, you know what? There's, yeah, there's certain types of men who are afraid. Yeah. Uh, and then certain types who aren't. So, you know, fighter pilots, special ops, NFL players. Anyway, so, <laughs> you know, those types, oil men. But yeah, so that's been one challenge. But, you know, the basic ones are right now with the mission of trying to appeal to the public to become interested in energy and support it. The biggest challenge I have that frustrates me on a regular basis is that a lot of people inside the energy sector don't care about that. So they'll say, well, yeah, okay, fine. We poll really badly, you know, by three to one. Fracking is viewed as a negative term, not a positive term. Oil and gas has an image problem. Even if they can agree with you on all that, and most people do readily, they're going to say, so what? You know what? The world can't live without oil and gas. I don't care if they like us or not. They will get out of the way. And so there's that attitude. So they don't see any need to communicate. And I think that's a big mistake. And I think that... I'll have to agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, it's like, this is the free country. So people people's opinions do matter. Right. And frankly, oil and gas has a great story to tell. So why are we not doing it? Why be in the reactionary mode all the time when there's a scandal or something people don't like and instead get out there in front of it and let them know, this is how you, you become a superpower. You have a great energy supply that you secure and uh, that can fuel your economy and that can keep you from having to intervene in every conflict around the world that produces you know, oil and gas. I mean, come on. So there's so many great things we can tell, and I can tell them in an, a politically incorrect way that's very direct uh, in ways that companies can't. Right. And so that's one thing that, that my show can do. And really, some people just don't give a flying monkey's behind about what anybody thinks or wants. And I think that in, in a free country, you have to care. Yeah, if this, is, if this were Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, if this was Tehran, Iran, if this is Russia, right, you, you don't have to listen to protesters. In fact, they don't even show up because they're terrified to show up and protest against <laughs> the state-owned oil company. Right. There will be no impact. You know, the, the protests will have no impact on the decision-making of the House of Saud. However, in a free country which I'm proud to live in. Yes. I uh, love my constitution. And, you know, where you have freedom of speech and assembly, there can be real political consequences to oh, absolutely. not getting out in front of this. And, you know, I'm concerned about, for example, take a look at New York State. I mean, there's a complete moratorium on fracking. Mm -hmm. 
some people were like, great, I hope they do take him out at the knees. That's my competition up there. And I don't want him going to market. I hear this stuff all the time. And but but a lot of people are like, hey, wait a minute, New Yorkers are being harmed. Electric bills are being harmed. It's natural gas mostly. And so, you know, family farms are being harmed because they have all these minerals and they can't take advantage of them. There's a lot wrong with the propaganda up there because New York's problem is everyone's problem because that whole saga from start to finish turned into tens of thousands of news stories and blog posts and tweets and Facebook stories and headlines. And you just keep that constant drumbeat going and people around the country are saying, oh, well, they, you know, it's right on top of them and they investigated. The people in New York rejected it. Must be something wrong with it. You see, you know, hundreds of frack bans and restrictions around the country all become headlines. And everyone says, wow, here, there, everywhere, everyone's opposed to fracking. And they begin to think there must be something really dangerous about this. Right. And there's just no pushback. So I think what I'm saying is that this idea of it's somebody else's problem, let them take out the competition, or who cares what the New Yorkers do, I'll never operate in New York, or what's the big deal, most of this is happening in a place where there's no fracking, so it's not my, again, it's not my problem. That attitude is not really taking account of a 21st century social media, we're all engaged here, platform, and we all get to vote. And so, you know, you're going to watch other places try to do the same, more scalps be taken in places that do produce. Right. And then it's going to get some attention. So one place suffers, we all kind of suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's a small world, super small world. At oh least yeah. Within the borders of this country. Oh yeah, definitely. So if you had one piece of advice to give, what would it be? Who am I giving it to? The audience. Who's your, who's primarily your audience? middle management, oil and gas industry. Okay. Thoroughly through. So. Okay. So because my, my role more than anything else in this sector is communications and education, I would say, please work for a cultural change inside your company, a, a change in the attitude of the management, basically, about what your responsibility is to communicate with everyone else, with the, with the public. Don't forfeit every fight to these foreign-funded activists. Stop forfeiting the fights. We don't have to lose. I mean, be very be proud of who you are. I guess there's there's some great advice. I talk to too many people in too many companies who talk about oil and gas like they're selling tobacco, like they're selling drugs, like it's. I was about bad. to say heroin, like heroin. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? Like. This is great. Be proud of what you do and be, be prepared to give an answer for what it is that you do. Or don't do it at all. That's yeah, if you're not proud. Right. And I'll tell you, I mean, not long ago, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who's doing acquisitions inside a super major, very smart guy. And he pulled me aside. He's trying to like, you know, be helpful here and give me a clue. And he's like, listen, Jackie, you just need to understand things are changing. You know, it's not, we're going a different direction now. 10 years ago, nobody cared about really renewables and green stuff. But now it's all changing. And you need to understand times are changing. And I'm like, well, what part of that do I not understand? I mean, you're an oil and gas company. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. No, we're not an oil and gas company. This is super major now. Yeah. We are not an oil and gas company. He said, we're an energy company. And I said, okay, fine. You're an energy company. And I'm an energy show. Okay. I'm not just an oil and gas show either. And, Boom. <laughs> and he, he was trying to help me. He was trying to say, you know... You just need to know that money's moving around to actually effectuate goals that are serious now about moving to renewables. And I guess I didn't understand what that had to do with anything, really. I'm like, of course you are. Because he goes, it was funny. He goes, okay, well, 
I've already said too much. And he went to run away from me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, first of all, I'm your friend. Second, I'm not going to tell your name to anybody. It doesn't matter. I'm like, your company is buying hundreds of millions of dollars on in advertisements about how green you are. And you think you're telling me news? <laughs> I already know who it is. I'm you not going to say, but. So I'm like, okay, fine. I didn't understand the contribution. Do you see how scared they are? This is middle management I was talking to uh, yeah. in the acquisition side. Like, what are you so scared of? We, we all need to just decide that we are good people who do great things and we are, you know, we are proud of what we do. And there are 101 reasons to be proud of what you do. Don't run away from it. Don't shy away from the discussion where you have the opportunity. If you're working in oil and gas, people think you know something about the industry. You actually speak with authority. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer from Capitol Hill who does a radio show to teach people about policy and energy and environment. And it's fun. But I'm not a petroleum engineer. And I'm not doing finance and oil and gas. These people speak with authority. They need to understand that and be just never, ever be ashamed of what you're doing. I mean, they're, I just, they need to hear this. I feel like they've been brainwashed by yeah. the other side, you know? Well, and it also has, I, I feel like it, that old culture of the industry is still instilled. They say that it, it's changing. It's changing. Well, duh, the only constant is change. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they have to, they're trying to convince themselves. Yes. And I think sometimes I'm like, like in that discussion, like I said, he, he wasn't trying to be rude to me. He was trying to help me out here. He, he thought he was like opening a door for me and, and teaching me something. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I wasn't, he wasn't trying to argue. And that's kind of cute. I don't, it, it, he was, he was very nice. I just think, okay, are we saying that we, is he trying to tell me that there's a true come to Jesus change at the top of a company and, mm-hmm. and tomorrow and in 10 years from now, they're going to be a solar wind and hydro company and biofuels company. Or am I simply hearing, we know that governments worldwide are moving in this direction to offer incentives to help our bottom line if we will do these things. Right. I don't know which it is and I'm almost indifferent. I, I'm not emotional about this. You know, I'm totally dispassionate. And so I just, I, I really don't understand what the upshot of all this is because my show is about supporting energy production. I focus on oil and gas because, and coal sometimes because frankly, those are the ones that need the most help and, yeah. and they form the basis of like, you know what, 90% of what we're using. So that's, that's where I'm going to focus, but I'm not hostile to anything else. And you now I'm almost agnostic about other things. I don't like subsidies because I'm, you know, uh, politically I'm, I'm inclined to think that the private sector does things better than the government getting involved. Yeah. But that's a, that's a different issue almost. I'm not, I'm, I'm just dispassionate about it. Yeah. So, but yeah, so th- that's my advice to mid-management. Be proud of who you are. Push on your people above you to get out there and be proactive and be proud of, of your company. And you have to care about what other Americans think. Yeah, you do. It's the only way to make a difference. And they vote. Yes. Yeah, there's, <laughs> they that, vote. there's that part too. So which book influenced you the most? Oh, me. Okay. In energy. It can be, this is a little, it, it, can, it can be energy. It can be personal. It doesn't matter. Gosh. I, okay. I own 2000 books. I have a, a library at home with the big, you know, ladder. You sound like slides. I do. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And I'm always giving away books and getting new books. And so I'm a book person. Okay. So I was reared up in a very religious family. Mm-hmm. So I was a three times a week churchgoer growing up. Mm-hmm. So obviously the Bible is a pretty big influence, but I put it in its own category. That's almost not even a fair answer because it's its own category. Yeah. It's been around for thousands of years and it's one of the most widely circulated books ever. Okay. And so it's its own thing. In oil and gas, this would almost be shocking now because it's kind of a, it's a little bit dated 
So some of the things that are true today, like the Shell Revolution, were not true when these books were put together. Okay, so to be clear, the world's changed. Mm -hmm. There's an amazing book, I thought, called Turning Oil into Salt that had a big influence on me. And it essentially was arguing to end oil use as much as possible because basically that empowered the petrostates of the Middle East who were doing bad things. Now, they would, the authors would dispute that characterization. I'm just telling you, reading between the lines is what I thought. It's all, let's move to natural gas in the transportation sector. Let's move to electric vehicles. Let's move to solar and wind. Let's... And so it kind of got me thinking first geopolitically about the issue. Now, I concluded something very different than what those authors concluded about what to do. There is no end to the era of oil in the next three decades. It is it's not going to happen. I spent right hundreds, maybe thousands of hours pouring over this question just because I enjoy the question. And oil is here to stay. There's nothing to be afraid of. We are an oil you know, powerhouse now. Yeah. And thank God for that. So I, I don't want to see oil turned into salt. Because uh, the point of salt was that before we had a way of preserving food with refrigeration, Right. Salt was really the means of preserving food. Click. So wars were fought over salt. And so, yeah, you, now salt is not really anything you're going to fight a war over anymore. I, I might. Yeah, a bag you of might. chips. <laughs> <laughs> when, imagine that the salt were, were uh, basically concentrated in, in just a few countries yeah. and that those countries might be hostile to you. What are you going to do? And so the, they go into how history changed when we had the advent of refrigeration and other things during the Napoleonic Wars. Mm -hmm. And then it just changed. Salt is no longer any real big deal to anybody. Right. And so they're trying to do the same with oil. And as I said, I mean, I'm pro-oil, so I'm different than the authors of that book, uh, Annie Corn and Gal Luft. But I enjoyed their book. I outlined their book. I became fixated on their way of thinking. And so that was pretty influential in how I think. And I like doing things that benefit the United States. I'm a patriot like that. So, you know, U.S. independents probably enjoy my show more than, let's say, you know, international or multinational mega companies right. enjoy my show. But, yeah. but I think that anyone can. There's plenty there for everyone. I'm not anti-anything, as I said. Uh, just try and, it's, and, and try to make it not for the energy sector. I want to make it for the, the non-energy public, school right. teachers and police officers and anybody who, Wants you know, to learn. is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody. Yeah. When are you going to write a book? You know what? I'm constantly being asked to do that. And I would love to. I have time actually right now. For the first time in a long time, I have more time. You know, I'm only working 50 hours a week. Oh, well, in that case, you <laughs> so, have at least 10 extra hours to that's write right. that book. Yeah. That's right. So I don't know. I mean, I have agonized for years about exactly what would I want to write about? Because, you know, what what's areas already been covered and I want a book that people actually will read, will remember, and it's going to make a difference in their lives. You know, I don't just want a book. There are a lot of people running around. I mean, I have friends who write books for people on Fox News, people on talk radio, and they write them. But seriously, they pay them $25,000 and boom, there's your book. And, you know, people who issue a lot of books, uh, probably that's how it, it works. Yeah. And I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want anyone writing a book for me. I don't want, I don't want to just write a book to say I've got a book. Well, then it's not your book. If somebody else writes it for you, that's what, how I see it. I agree. And it's a total industry, right? That's so common. I mean, I know the people who write the books for the biggest names, I mean, bestsellers even. And wow. so, but anyway, and, and it's cheap. So anyway, that's something that I'm, I've thought about, but I want to write something that. Well, good for you. Do it on your own terms. Yeah. I don't just, just a book. The yeah. world's full of books. So I, I own lots of them, as I said. I was say. I'm an expert in aficionado, aficionado of books, but we shall see. I don't know. 
and I've been pressured a lot about it. So sorry, I asked. No, no, it's fine. It's, <laughs> I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm very open to the idea. I'm excited about the idea, but I've got to be really excited about what its purpose would be. And my friends are like, "Well, you got the wrong attitude." <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. I'm like, no. No, otherwise it's it's pointless unless unless you know exactly what you want to do. And I, I see you being a, a sort of a, a perfectionist, and I think it's probably because you're a lawyer. Thank <laughs> you. I think I've, I've been told that by people who work for me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I feel like I'm nowhere near as exacting as I should be. Yeah, I'm, so. a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there, and that's where I've I had to come out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But... Um, what would you say is your most used business tool? Why well, I'm sure it's myself. If, if myself is an option, I'm sure it's myself. I want to say, uh, this is an archaic term that those of you under 35 won't even know what this is. I want to say Rolodex. Oh, you yeah. Know? I want to say it's the people. Like I have a mailing list with thousands of people on it. And I enjoy just going through that list. And you know, there's the person, there's the company, there's their title. And I'm just so amazed at how many people I meet and reach by speaking at petroleum clubs or just going to energy conferences or whatever it is. People who just correspond right to me, you know, from the show. Mm -hmm. And I treasure that. And I just feel like so much is about who you know and cultivating relationships. So I want to give the, the answer Rolodex. Rolodex. As I said, those don't even exist anymore. Now you have actually, these electronic saw, things, you know? Actually, they do. I saw some in a store the other day. <laughs> and those are for I people know. who were like in their 80s, right? And me. Uh, I actually own, it says on my, on my website, six overstuffed Rolodexes. I really own those. <laughs> and I, I refuse to throw away the cards. I well, refuse. Oh, I, I save all my cards. I may not, <laughs> you know, go through them all the time. But I always write down after I leave wherever I got the, the card from that person, how we met. Right. It, it's how I reference things. And I, I, I like that. I mm -hmm. like that. That's a good one. Who's your most respected competitor? I don't know anyone who's doing exactly what I'm doing. I mean, there are lots of radio hosts, but none of them that really focus on messaging to the public. And there are oil and gas like podcasts and things, but most of them don't focus on the red meat stuff that I get into. I purposefully talk about the controversial issues. Most things that are especially industry funded Right. Run away from controversy. They don't want anything to do with controversy. So I'm kind of out there, you know, sticking my teeth into some, I call it red meat stuff or the raw issues mm -hmm. like fracking and pipelines. And so I don't know a lot of people doing that. I mean, who else really focuses in on trying to engage the other side? Maybe Alex Epstein is probably the best known person. So, he, you know, he wrote a book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels that I recommend to everyone. Mm -hmm. He's been on my show to talk about it. And uh, it's very helpful to anybody. What I was telling you about, be ready to give an answer for why your industry is so terrific. If you read Alex's book, I think that that would go a long way toward helping you. So here I am pushing out my competitor's stuff because <laughs> that's how much I really, I'm not a sharp elbows person. I, if we could multiply Alex and I and a handful of other people who are messaging on our issues. You could multiply us by 10 and there's still not enough of us to really cover the field oh yeah i mean there's so much work i don't i'm not concerned about running out of work i'm not concerned about running out of people to talk to and convince there's plenty to do so always yeah but what is your most important lesson learned that whatever it is you want to do whether it's I've, I've been a lawyer in a law firm i've been in a corporate environment as an executive i've been on capitol hill as counsel i have my own show no matter what it is you want to do the most important thing is the people you do it with. You must work with people 
who one who you can trust. Right. Number two, who share the mission and the values and who won't place themselves in front of the mission. And so building my team, even now, even beyond work, my friend set, the people who are in, allowed anywhere near me for any length of time for any reason are going to be people who are quality. I used to have a high tolerance when I was younger for some things like arrogance or, well, that person has this problem or that problem, obviously, but they make me laugh. They're fun to be around. You know, I, I valued fun too highly younger in life. But now that I'm a little older, I really, really place emphasis on value. As you get the right people around you, you can fix everything else. Right. It's similar to having a brain trust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You want the smart, smartest people you can find. And someone said you're, you know, five years from now, you'll be a product of the books you read and the people you're surrounded with. And I think that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. What's your favorite podcast? Gosh, I should, I should not even answer this, but I'm, I'm honest and can't help myself. The truth is I almost never listen to any podcast ever. I am one of the few Americans. I, if you look at podcast numbers like that Nielsen puts out and, and others, it's exploding. Like Americans listen to podcasts like crazy. Radio is exploding. Even now, people think that like when new media comes along, there's competition that people will like leave one and go to the other. The truth is they listen to more. They consume more. And it's really interesting. So I've looked at all this research. So radio reaches more people in the United States weekly than TV. And this is in the stats. I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't believe this. And podcasts are going to run past radio soon just because it's on demand. It's anytime you want it, the way you want it. Yeah. So it's a terrific thing. But I just, I work too much. I don't have time to. I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah. Who has time? I, I just, maybe if I'm on the treadmill is, yeah. or something like that, right. then yeah. I can. Or if I'm in the car for a long drive, then I can. Like for five hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like today from Dallas to Houston. But I'm usually doing phone calls, catching up on phone calls even then. So I'm just a person who really works too much. But it's okay. You love your job. I do. I love what I do. And let's see. I'll tell you something funny because I, I came to what I do through talk radio. I do, I do enjoy conservative talk radio, like political talk radio once in a while. And you might think that like Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Michael Savage, Laura Ingram, all these people are the, doing the same thing. They're all talking about the same thing. It's today's news through a conservative lens. But the truth is what you're tuning in for, and I learned this from my partner on the show, in talk radio, you're tuning in for the host. You're not tuning in for the content. The truth is you think you get to know this person. And that's why some hosts are loved by listeners and hated by other listeners. It's all the same content. It's today's news through a conservative lens. And, and, that, and that's, the biggest, that's the biggest part of talk radio, the most successful, is conservative talk. But it's, it's, it's all about I'm a big host. fan of Michael Berry. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, in Houston, I got a lot of friends who listen to him. And so, you know, I don't, the truth is I listen to very little. And I'm sure I'm not supposed to admit that. But no, no. Be honest. There's times I'm in the car and I just want silence. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just want silence. Usually I want to rock because by the time I get in the car, I've been working all day. And so I get my news almost exclusively through print because mm -hmm. I can get it fast. You know, I want to see the front page of the Wall Street Journal and then follow that up. And then I want to go to Drudge and I just want fast, fast, fast. I don't have time to listen to cable news, which takes forever to get to anything. Oh my gosh. You can waste an enormous, you can waste your whole life on cable news. And I can't, I, I just really, I don't have the patience. I don't even have too cable. Much. I don't even have cable. You know what? I didn't own a television for 14 years. That's how much I'm not, I'm just not, I'm a print person. I'm an online person. 
And yeah. uh, it's got to go fast because I got stuff to do. Yeah. So anyway. I feel it's only appropriate that we announce this week's winner of the $200 steak dinner from the Capital Grill. Congratulations to Gabe P. If you want to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capital Grill, and why wouldn't you, right? Visit www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast every week. Enter your information and listen to next week's show to see if your name is chosen. As always, a link will be provided in the show notes to make it easier to enter. As the relentless protector of those that power the world, Bulwark is the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing globally. So once you've signed up for that steak dinner, be sure to check out the rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. And since Oil and Gas Global Network's calendar is filled with events, I also need to thank our on-the-road travel sponsors. So Lee Harrison is the world's leading talent development and transition company that helps businesses simplify the transformation of their talent and workforces to accelerate results and reduce risk. They also help individuals build their careers within their companies or transition into new opportunities. So visit www.lhh.com for more information about that. And then we have Total Land Technologies, and they have the world's most advanced field land management system, which is the Land Man Virtual Office. So visit www.totalland.com for more information about them. Okay, so thank you so much for yeah. Thank you for time having me. Coming on the show. If people want to know more about your show, want to know more about you, how can they go about learning more? Probably the easiest thing to do is to go on to JackieDaily.com. That's mm-hmm. Jackie with no E, daily as in every day, uh, dot com. And then you can always just Google the show and up will come all the podcasts on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Pegasus NetWaves. Even now, Fems International. Wow. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. And then, then yeah, you just run a Google search. You'll see like where I've been speaking. You can find my, my, my whole guest list so you get a real feel for what, what I typically have on the show, on the website. Jackie and the Press is up there. Book Jackie for a speaking event so you can see where I've spoken before. So, yeah, that's kind of JackieDaily.com is the one stop for most of that. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. <laughs> Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Oil and Gas Industry Leaders.